Welcome to the How to Be a Minimalist podcast. My name is Katie and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really hope you enjoy this episode. If you're looking for the links that I talk about or anything else that you would like more information on, you can find that in the description box of this episode. This is episode number 136, The Emotional Side of Minimalism. Hey there, minimalists. I hope that you are having an excellent day today and I hope you're having a great start to your new year. I know that I usually do an episode on my goals for the year and what I'm planning on doing and stuff like that, but quite frankly, I was just really having a fun time with my goal list this year. And I made a lot of mini goals and I don't want to talk about all of them. I'm just going to talk about them in my personal update and make sure that I cover some of those. So you'll kind of discover what I'm doing as I go along. Maybe there will come a point where I post those onto Patreon or on my website or something like that. That way it's more like a blog post, which I think would be more suitable. But for my personal update, we'll kind of go over some of those things each week. So yeah, for my personal update, I wanted to tell you my one of my number one goals that I've been thinking of for a long time is that I want to enter every single receipt into our budget. Sometimes towards the end of the month, certain things don't get entered and I just figure like I know roughly what's in the budget and I make adjustments in my mind, but I don't do it on paper. And I really want to make sure that we're not kind of squandering any of our money by being absent-minded about it or just kind of letting a few things slide. So entering every single receipt, that has been my goal. I have only missed like two receipts and I'm pretty proud of that. It's been, uh, it's been pretty good. So that goal, again, If you have been around for very long, you know I'm not going for 100%. I know I'm not going to be perfect in these goals. I know I'm not, but I am going to try very hard. And if I hit like 75% at the end of the year of my goals, I'm so excited. And that's usually what happens. That's what happened last year after I was kind of looking at all of my goals. That's what I had done. And I felt like I had grown as a minimalist, which is why I talk about my goals. Honestly, it's a great way for me to showcase why I do these things and how I practice minimalism on a day-to-day basis. I also had a goal to implement some and create some cleaning zones that our whole family would work on every night. Our family has changed so much over the years. It's so interesting to watch our kids become more capable, our schedules change, different things like that. And Basically, I began as a newlywed and a woman that didn't have any children. That was my first um, time really running a home by myself. I began using Fly Lady. It's a great cleaning system, but I noticed that like it hasn't always worked well. I would say it's probably the basis for my cleaning style, but... I've definitely had to make adjustments over the years and that's okay. That's totally okay. We should be kind of evaluating our cleaning systems and styles whenever we see something is kind of going wrong. So I wanted to start out this year with using a zone cleaning method where our whole family pitched in every evening for maybe 20 or 30 minutes and worked on a specific area of the home. I have not been able to implement this. I was kind of thinking about it and taking my time. I needed to talk to my husband and my family about it and all of that sort of thing. So we actually just started this a couple of days ago. And so far it is going really well. And I will probably have a whole episode on this because I it's just a great way to kind of get some deep cleaning done. But also I want to practice it a little bit longer before I uh, fill you in on how family style 
cleaning is going for our family. So I'll let you know about that in a couple of weeks when I do an episode or maybe it'll be a couple months. We'll see. It has been going really well so far and I've really enjoyed it. I also had a goal to do weekly family games and we have basically been doing that, which is awesome. It's so good to spend some time together as a family getting some things done. I notice probably as lots of people do that there's that like time on devices creep and you always kind of have to put it at bay. And I'm noticing that spending time together as a family is really helping to kind of eliminate some of that time on a device, which is good. I also had an F, um, a goal to do breathwork every day and I've been doing that and feeling amazing. If you don't know what breathwork is, I am actually in a breathwork facility facilitator course right now through pause. I love it. It has been amazing. And I am so excited to bring this to all of you. And I, I just really feel like one of the reasons why podcasting became frustrating to me is because I wanted to have another way of helping. And I thought about doing one-to-one kind of like minimalism coaching, but like maybe we did a Zoom and we could talk through some of your stuff. And it just none of that felt right to me. It never seemed like it would work well with how I am and what I would feel comfortable with. And so breathwork, when I thought about it, it just became like a light bulb went off. And I knew this was the way that I needed to go in order to have like an offering that would benefit benefit people that wanted to practice minimalism because there is such an emotional side to minimalism. I will never believe that people are just lazy or you just have to go shopping or you just this or just that. I just, I don't believe it. I believe that there is an emotional side. I believe there's an unmet need. And I believe that until that's met, we will really struggle and often submit to that unmet need. And that's usually what happens for me anyway. Of course, this is anecdotal, but I notice that a lot with various issues where there's just an unmet need and it needs to be addressed. And breathwork is amazing. It's very meditative and it is a great way to kind of move some energy, give yourself some space and time to think about what you would like to be. What would you like your home to be like? How would you like to proceed when you make purchases or acquire new objects? Feeling content with life basically because of breathwork. Um, It's also a very beautiful place to practice gratitude, but like deep gratitude, not just like, oh, I'm supposed to be grateful, so I'm grateful. Uh, It has been a great place to practice that as well. And I honestly just have found that I no longer crave things. I go into stores and I now kind of cringe. I'm like, I don't need any of this stuff. I don't want it. I I don't feel an urge to purchase like I used to. And I feel so much more contentment for my home, which is so beautiful. And I'm very grateful for that. And Breathwork has provided that for me. A lot of it has had to do with the reparenting that I have done using Breathwork and also using it almost like as a living kind of vision board or creating affirmations that go around breathwork and minimalism and lifestyle and all of that sort of thing. And I love it. So anyway, 
I know I'm talking about this a lot. I'm so passionate about it. I joined the program because I feel like it would benefit those that are wanting to practice minimalism so much. And I wanted to bring it to this audience. And I was very excited when I found it knowing like, this is the thing, this is the thing that I can offer because I don't want to tell you how many shirts you have or should have exactly. I don't want to tell you how many measuring cups you should have exactly. Everyone is so different, but this is a beautiful way to help people tune into what do you want? What would make you feel good? What would make your home feel beautiful? What would be of benefit as you are practicing minimalism? What helps you live more simply? And this is just a beautiful modality for accomplishing that. And I think that's why I am feeling so much peace in my home and just a lot of benefit from this practice. I am currently in my practice hours of my program and I need several more and I would love so much to work with a couple of people from this audience so that I can kind of fine tune and yeah, I guess just practice this idea that I have of helping people use breath work and meditation to create the home the simple living, the minimalism that they really desire. So if you'd like to work with me a little bit on this, currently, like as of this recording, I have sessions that are complimentary and I benefit from getting the practice and getting those hours accomplished. It helps me to be able to graduate and hopefully you will benefit by, um, yeah, enjoying some breath work. So contact me either on Instagram or um, at my email address, which is how to be a minimalist at gmail.com. And I will have both of those down in the description box. But if you would like to work with me one-on-one, that'd be awesome. And I also am going to create a group breathwork session based on the topic today. So those are two ways that if you would like to try some breathwork, if you're interested in it, uh, that's how it would work. So feel free to check out the description box and find those links there. Today's topic is on this emotional side of minimalism. I was recently discussing with someone the 90-second pause. This was something that Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor talks about. She's a brain scientist, and she said, when a person has a reaction to something in their environment, there's a 90-second chemical process that happens in the body. After that, any remaining emotional response is just the person choosing to stay in that emotional loop. I think a lot of us have heard of emotional loops, um, but if you haven't, uh, it's basically when you begin to tell stories around something that has happened. You begin to ruminate where you just are kind of cycling and recycling and also expanding on often negative thoughts and stories around something that happened. The idea that an emotional response is pretty much about 90 seconds and then after that, it's just whatever we make of it and our brain's kind of kicking in. This was so interesting to me. I wanted to look up more. So I found that she also had a TED Talk and that was also very fascinating. I'll try to remember to link both of my sources down in the description box. But basically in her TED Talk, she talks about her experience of having a stroke and having the left and I think the left side of her, um, the left hemisphere in her brain kind of shut down and she talks about she talked about what that was like to experience life or living for an amount of time simply from the right hemisphere where everything is based on smell and what you're feeling and is very uh very filled with love from what she said and appreciation and wonderment it was very very interesting her left side of her brain where her thinking brain was like 
uh, something is wrong, you need help. That just kept on coming in and out. It was a very interesting talk. But based on this quote and the idea of the 90 second pause, as well as the TED talk, it was so fascinating to me. And I wanted to apply it to minimalism in my mind. That's usually where my brain goes. And to me, it's like, wow, if we really want to practice minimalism on an emotional level, First of all, we can do our best to try to remember that an emotional response is really, it, it may or may not even be true, an emotional response. It may be true. But how many times do we have something where we think, oh, that person looked at me funny. I bet they think that blah, blah, blah. And you go into some kind of a negative response. I actually just had that happen today and I caught myself and I needed to remind myself, actually, that has nothing to do with me. And maybe they're making a face because they remember they were late to get somewhere. I don't know. And I don't need to tell a story around it. And until I was just thinking of an example as I was podcasting right now, I totally let that go and forgot about it. Old Katie might have gone into a loop and let it kind of react in my brain for a really long time. I might have added other stories to it. I, yeah, you, I'm sure you all know exactly what I'm talking about. Relating this to minimalism is very interesting in my opinion, because it can allow us to think about, okay, well, when I'm looking at a sentimental item in the closet, when I'm trying to go through it and sort out and get rid of things, I can remember that that emotion only is really going to last for 90 seconds. And then I can decide, okay, well, is this really something that is valuable to me? Is this something that I want to hold on to? Is this something that I am interested in keeping? Or do I just have that emotional emotionality about it and I'm really done with this item and I'm ready to let it go except for that little loop that I'm living in? The other part of this that was so fascinating to me, especially when she talked about it in her TED Talk, was this idea that we can have access to the right side of our brain or our, our right hemisphere in our brain a lot more often. And that is the thinking, or not the thinking side, it is the feeling side, it is the smelling side, it is the side of wonderment and things like that, generally speaking obviously I'm not a brain scientist. So uh, I'm hoping I'm saying this as accurately as possible. It is just based on my understanding from watching her TED talk. Her main point though, was that we can access that side of us that is not the side of fear. And I do think our thinking brain often talks us into things that are deeply inaccurate. They're not right. They're random stories I I'm, I will be so curious to find out, like, how often do we have thoughts that are actually true? What is the percentage of that? Because questioning our thoughts, especially when they are very negative, is probably a good idea a lot of the time. I know the more I practice breath work and some of this mindfulness and different things that I have been doing and questioning, like, is that a true thought? Is that actually something that is real? Is that a real possible outcome? Or is that just like the worst possible scenario? And you've thought of 50 of those that could happen just from telling this person, that's not going to fit in my schedule today. <laughs> I don't know. But what I do know is that accessing this other side of our brain where we're kind of shutting down some of those stories because a lot of times they're not true. 
is so beneficial. I think that in terms of minimalism and the emotionality side of it, it is amazing. It would be wonderful to access that part of our brain a lot more often instead of the side that says, don't get rid of that. You might need that in two years or in 10 years or maybe never at all. But if you ever need it, you'll never be able to get one of them ever, ever, ever again. And I think a lot of times that's where our brains go especially when we're trying to declutter. The interesting part about that in my brain is that there is so much trauma and perhaps a lot of scarcity around thoughts like that. There are scarcity issues and it is interesting to question, or maybe you already know, why do I think I can never have that item again? Somewhere along the way, a lot of us have believed that we cannot have the things that we desire. We cannot have the things that we want. And a lot of times it's it's not true. But if we live in those stories, if we live in those emotional loops, it becomes true. It becomes something that we really, really can't overcome or we cannot um, obtain something again. I know that as we've lived in this house, it's been interesting to see what we bring into it. And I am finding that there are still a lot of spaces that are empty. I also feel like there are a lot of things that are like, we, we still have like nothing on our walls pretty much. And I, I don't need a ton of artwork, but I would like some. And I think it's funny because we're just taking so much time on this that maybe it's taking a little bit too long of an amount of time before we put something on our walls. However, I know that the time will come and we'll pick something really beautiful and it will be great. Old Katie would have felt an urgency to have those things that I really, really want or act like it's something I need to spend money on in order to have something on the wall. And I think that it comes down to caring what other people think of about my walls. I think it comes down to having those kind of issues of scarcity, like living in scarcity and thinking, well, if I don't put something on the wall, then it means I'll never be able to put something on the wall. And I I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to live in those stories. I don't want to live in those amazing little lies that my brain can often make up. I guess my question for you would be, and for me, I'm going to ask myself this question as well. What are you allowing yourself to get stuck in as far as emotional loops go? What are you allowing yourself to get stuck in when you are thinking about minimalism? When you're thinking about your purchases, especially if you're a newer minimalist, what is happening that keeps you from like saying, I'm going to declutter 20 things in my home this weekend? Or if you've been practicing for a long time, but you find that you are still holding on to some stuff, what is it that is preventing you from letting go the rest of the way, especially if it's stuff that you know you want to let go of? Or perhaps there are people in your life that are taking up a little too much time in your schedule and you're not quite ready to move on and sort of bring in things that will take up more of your time so that there's not enough time for those other people that are just not in your life the amount that you want. They're, they're just in there a little too much, if you know what I mean. Again, there's always an emotional side to these things, I think. And it's rarely just, I didn't feel like it. It's often much deeper than that. So questioning and asking yourself, diving in a little bit, maybe you want to journal or paint or go on a walk, whatever works best for you to kind of dive into some of these things. I think we often will find the answer within ourselves, and we just need to be brave enough to ask. It's 
hard sometimes, but I think that's usually what ends up helping us and helping us to figure out how to live a better life and have the confidence to do it. Another question I've been thinking about is when I look at something online or in a store and I have that pull to buy that item, but I I know I don't really want it in my home. I know it hasn't earned a space there and I actually don't want it. Uh, I often still have stories and different ideas that come through my mind about why I can't have that item or I end up turning that material item into kind of like past trauma. It's a, it's a representation of past trauma. And it's very interesting how that one works for me a lot of times, because especially when I take that moment to step back, I realize I would never even want this thing anyway. I don't want it, but I also don't want to feel those kind of ancient feelings that bring out a lot of ick. The thing I've been learning, though, is that it is so important to feel through those things and, of course, only in the amount that you can tolerate and be mentally well and all that sort of thing. But for me, feeling those things and exploring them, even though it's kind of the darker side or the different things that are a little bit difficult to deal with, I find there's so much health in that. And I'm honoring myself a little bit by doing that and taking the time to say, yeah, this is what bothers me about it. I don't necessarily act out on it, but having an understanding is allowing me to have a better understanding of myself. And I feel so much happier just in my everyday life, understanding and honoring myself in that way, even though it's small, it's a big deal to me. I also want to mention for those of you that have others living in your home that you are working on minimalism with, and maybe you even feel a little bit of frustration. This could be a really beneficial way to, I might open a can of worms, I'm not going to lie, but it could be a beneficial way to helping yourself and your partner, child, aunt, uncle, whoever's living in your home with you, uh, roommate, it might help you both to understand behaviors a little bit better and it hopefully would create more sympathy, but also it might be a beneficial way to move forward in minimalism. I know back a long time ago, like 20 years ago now, I when I had more kind of hoarding tendencies, because that is where I came from, uh, not not my home, but that is where my, my mindset was, even as a child and to the severe annoyance of my family, there were a lot of emotional reasons why I behaved that way. It wasn't until I began understanding the emotional reasoning behind it that I was able to change my behavior. I know some people are like, I'm just going to do it and that works for them. For me, I have to understand what's going on in my brain before I can take physical action. It just does not work for me <laughs> any other way. And so to me, this was a huge reason to begin practicing minimalism, I had sorted out some of my emotions and it was so much better for my husband and myself because we were able to kind of work through some of that together. And it was a major benefit to our relationship. I really believe that emotions are not meant to be brushed under the rug. I know sometimes we have to set them aside for a minute. Maybe we're not ready to think about something. Maybe we are not able to process something at the moment. And so we can put it on the back burner and say, you know, I'm going to come back to you when I have the energy to deal with this. But brushing things under the rug and hiding our emotions instead of even just observing them often means that we're going to come back to that. It's not going to disappear forever just because we run away from it. It usually means that that is stored away 
and we might have actions that come about because of it. And also it usually will come back and we're going to have to deal with it at some point. I kind of look at it like emotional debt. (laughs) It's like you can borrow all you want, but you're going to have to pay that back at some point in some way. So when I have emotions come up now, my mind begins to look for the truth of why I'm having a feeling. And sometimes it's like searching decades of incidents and trying to figure out why my brain goes to that story, why I have the feeling of scarcity or whatever it is. Sometimes my mind connects immediately to the unmet need that is now demanding to be met in a very unhealthy way, either by shopping for something or asking, like wanting to hold on to something or whatever. I am I'm grateful that that's where my brain is going. It feels so much better and I, I feel so much more contentment with the way my life is going as far as like my minimalist lifestyle, my home and my schedule and things like that. It feels good. It feels good to be in that place. I will say though, sometimes we're just not ready to deal with why a you know spoon that we've kept for 10 years is triggering to us. And that's okay. That's another way to honor our body and honor ourselves. We can still be like an observer and realize, oh, Hmm, that's interesting. That that spoon really bothers me. I should probably consider that sometime. And that's okay to take a pause and not go into the whole story, but also not go into the observation mode where you are kind of trying to discover and and learn more about yourself. But when you're when you are able, when you are in a place, just making some of those observations and done in so much self-love, really, really with honor and respect for self, it can be a really beautiful way to learn about yourself and figure out why we're doing these things that we do. I've honestly used this type of meditative breath work for self-parenting, like reparenting, as well as exploring how I want to move forward and what I would envision the perfect and ideal life to be like. And it's been a great way to kind of move past and through some things and It's never perfect right away. It's taking a long time to work through some of these things, but I am finding it of great benefit and it has been a beautiful and very gentle way to do this. So if you would like to join me for a group breathwork session on this topic, I'm actually going to be hosting one. You'll find the Calendly link in the description box of this episode. It's going to be this coming Sunday afternoon. We'll be doing that. So There are only eight spots available. I, per my practicum rules, I am not allowed to have more than eight breathers in a session at a time. But if it fills up and if I get enough people that are like, hey, could you do another session on this? I might just do another one. So feel free to email me at howtobeaminimalist at gmail.com if it does fill up and you would still like to either work one-on-one with me or if you would like to have another group session created. If I get enough people, I will absolutely do that. I also understand that breathwork is such a new thing for people that this meditative breathwork, if it sounds kind of weird to you, I get it. But if you're also curious and you're, you know, you're willing to go on a little exploration, sign up and it it's just, I promise it'll be fun. <laughs> or, or you can just leave the Zoom meeting. That's okay too. But uh, yeah, it's as of this recording, it is complimentary and it's free until I graduate. And I would love to have some of you come and join me. I think this would be a beautiful way to practice and 
um, bringing a little bit more minimalism into our lives. My minimalist challenge for you today is the next time you come across an emotional loop where you're recycling those thoughts over and over and building stories that may or may not be true, maybe take a few deep breaths and explore the origins. The conversation with yourself can be as simple as, wow, I, I see that that spoon really bothers you. What does that come from? Where does that emotional pain come from or that emotional aggravation come from? And if you ask yourself this in a very just observing way, a very, very loving way, having grace for yourself, I I find I can make a lot of progress that way. You could also end up coming to the conclusion that you need a little bit more support in your life. Maybe you need more than journaling something out or taking a walk and thinking about something and that is also a beautiful thing because then you kind of know where to go. You know what else you would really benefit from as you are dealing with this emotional side of minimalism, which is so real. Just oh, from the bottom of my heart, I hope that you will address your past self and your current self with so much love and grace. And I think that's really where we find true healing is when we can love, honor, and support ourselves in the things we really need. So that would be my little two cents on the emotional side of minimalism. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to email me at howtobeaminimalist at gmail.com or check out the links in the description of this podcast episode if you are interested in doing some breath work with me. I would love to have you. And even if we just have a little conversation about what it actually is so that you know a little bit more about it and can make a decision from there, that would be great. But I would love it. And I'd be so honored if, um, yeah, if I could get a little bit of help with completing my practicum hours so that I can graduate from my program. And I really, really am excited about bringing this to this community. I think it's going to be a great thing. Have a wonderful day. Remember, it is all about the experiences, not the stuff. And I will see you next time.